welcoming everyone to Flyover Fallout. My name is Matt Baker, here as always with Santiago Beltran. And we might sound a little different right now. We are actually recording this live on location at the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern, right across the street from City Park, right after the City Sprint, which we both ran in. Santi, I'm a little out of breath, how are you? Well, you had to run like two City Sprints just to get uh, some things we needed for the podcast, but <laughs> doing great, Matt, it was fun running the race and seeing people, seeing some fans, uh, even the uh, Diego, the president was there running with his family. So, so that was fun to see. The president of the, of the club, Diego Giolini here with his family, we saw multiple staff members, uh, supporter groups, Luligans, Punks, Santos. I mean, Florida Noise providing the noise here. It was just a fun atmosphere. The city sprint, I hope they keep doing these because it's, it's awesome to have like a like this kind of atmosphere prior to a City 2 game. I like the connection because we're getting ready if you record this to go watch City 2 in their uh, their last home match of the season, hopefully kind of clinching a better playoff position here. But we have a uh, we have a, a draw to look back on. We have a, a good matchup. St. Louis City drew Houston Dynamo 1-1 this past weekend. And there's a lot to take away, but let's start off, I guess, with our starting 11 because that kind of sets the stage for everything like we usually do. Roman Berkey in net, no surprises there. Anthony Markanik returned to the starting lineup at the left-back role. Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Jake Nerwinski finding himself back in the starting 11 again at right-back, which was one of the interesting things we'll touch on. Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven in the midfield, no surprises there, with Jared Stroud, AZ Jackson, Salio Pompeu, and Joao Klaus. First things I see from this starting 11 are Nerwinski's back in the lineup, Salio's back in the lineup, it's their first starts in a while. What, what can we make of this? Can we make the fact that it's rotation because three matches in eight days coming up is it tactical based uh, where the houston dynamo we talked about in our preview last week they're more of a pushing the ball on the left side a little bit uh defensive and so you're looking at maybe leveraging your right back role more defensively and so you you flip what we've seen lately by having an attacking left back and a defensive right back or is it kind of a combination of the two i think it's a combination of both um as you said, Celio and Nerwinski had not started in a while, but Celio, before he was sent to City 2 and he wasn't getting any minutes with City, he was doing really well and he wasn't on the starting lineup or even coming as a sub. But I saw initially, I thought, okay, this is part of rotation, big game on Wednesday against LAFC. So kind of have a kill watch with fresh legs. Uh, Nico Joachini with fresh legs. Uh, obviously, Sam Iron had that suspension, so not a factor there. But now thinking about what you said about how Houston attacks, and we saw it develop during the game, I was um, really impressed with Celio being uh, like basically like another defender and, and helping their whiskey out when Houston was attacking on that side. So I think it's a combination of both things. And we really saw that play out both offensively and defensively because another thing we like to look at is the passing network and what that looked like coming out of the gates. And it, it was difficult for me not to see three center back looks from an offensive perspective and five at the back often defensively, seeing uh, Anthony Marcanic on the left wing back side, Celio Pompeu very much played right wing back defensively, uh, often at times playing right alongside Jake Nerwinski, helping him out. You did see kind of a shift at times in the passing network says this while Salio's primary and average position was midfield just beyond midfield. And so he's pushed up high when they're off, when they're on offense, when they're passing the ball, when they're trying to progress it. 
um, at this at the same time Anthony Marcanic is a little bit more reserved and so you do have this asymmetrical approach um, where we're skewing further heavier on the right because of who is attacking but the overarching thing to me isn't necessarily uh, three at the back five at the back four at the back it's what our midfield did I thought it was fascinating to see the ball progress on both wings significantly more than it did through the midfield and I'm talking about Jabulu Blom and Edu Leuven and what the passing network tells me is we had kind of triangle patterns develop on both wings between Jake Nerwinski, Jabulu Blom, and Celio Pompeo on the right and guys like Edu Leuven, uh, Jared Stroud, Anthony Marcanic, and Joachim Nilsson on the left. Tim Parker very much central role. Joachim Nilsson kind of shading left as Marcanic pushed up from that defensive perspective. Were you surprised to see the ball progress through the wings like this, or, or were you expecting kind of this when you saw Salio in the lineup? Yeah, no. When I saw Salio in the lineup, I was expecting a lot of attacks through the wings, and uh, we, we saw it during the game. Even though defensively he was helping Jack Nowinski a lot, he would also, when he had a chance, he and the the passing network shows that, his RS possession like midfield, um, like he will go and... It was great to see those 1v1s between him and Franco Escobar. He, he drew a couple of fouls, and uh, I think he had a great game. But uh, it's interesting what, what we're, we were just talking about, that we were attacking a lot through the wings. I had a chance to ask uh, Bradley Carnell postgame about the adjustments uh, the team made at the 80th minute when, uh, when Torrison and uh, who else came in? Help me out. Um, uh, Joe Kini? when Torrison and Joachini came in and um, basically we shifted to three in the back and uh, Torrison playing uh, right wing and then Indiana Bassi left who also came in with playing, in the 80th playing as a left wing and Bradley Cannon said yeah well we weren't we were attacking a lot through the middle and we realized we needed to attack more through the wings and that was part of it. Indiana Basilev played in a role he had not played before. Boy, are we going to touch on that in a minute because that 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 was emblematic of the second half adjustments that worked so well. I think when you look at how the game flow went, it was almost a tale of four quarters as opposed to two halves. Yeah. Where I felt St. Louis came on strong at the beginning, and so looking at the game flow as we like we like to do here, I thought there were a lot of really important and. Uh, dangerous moments by St. Louis City in the first half, early on, looking at the eighth minute with an, an AZ Jackson foul that he's drawn. It, it was from a forced high turnover with Klaus, AZ, Blom, Leuven, and Stroud all pressing. This was this was really setting the stage for the high press that St. Louis had, and it, it worked really well. AZ drawing three defenders and getting fouled by Karaskia. Leuven's free kick was wide. Yeah, that's okay, and he'll get the, those opportunities, but I just want to see him have those then again, at 19 minutes, I saw another key opportunity where Houston was playing a long ball from their back line, headed out by Nielsen to Leuven, progressing back up to AZ, who immediately draws a foul. AZ's in that attacking third, and when, he, when he's able to draw fouls like this, he's giving Leuven opportunities. And that's something that's been lacking in some of the matches that we've, we've lost here recently is a lack of Leuven with free kick or set-piece opportunities. I was happy to see that progress pretty quickly off the bat. Another thing that I really enjoyed from the beginning of the match is the, the success that Klaus and AZ were having playing off of each other. Uh, Bradley Carnell talked at the end of the game, post-game, about Klaus's um, line-holding job and, and his ability to, to hold the line up for offensive purposes. I thought he was very... He played the ball very well to AZ. And in a sense of, 
he's either holding the line, he's getting the pass, and then he's playing it off to him. And in the 28th minute, there was a long throw in from Jake Nerwinski to Klaus, who drew defenders in and around him, mm -hmm. and then AZ slipped right past him. Klaus had a great pass, but AZ couldn't get power behind it. It's those opportunities, beginning of the match, that I think really set the stage for City. Yeah, and uh, it was a great start for City. Houston had, a, I think it was like second minute, third minute. He, they had a they had a chance with uh, Carrasquilla, but uh, he he shot it way up and uh, couldn't do anything with it. But it was great to see how City started the game, and uh, it was it was great to see. Basically, I thought like Klaus is back, like uh, the way he holds the ball and creates a space. Uh, you mentioned that. He created space for AC a couple of times, but uh, he was like, I was thinking, this is great. City may win this game, and they were like 40 minutes, still scoreless. I was thinking, okay, maybe we'll go scoreless to the second half, but uh, City is dominating, and then things changed really quickly. Well, and, and when they changed, AZ still had more chances, and I think he was a lot of either the driving factor or doing what a 10 should do, and that's creating chances himself and for others. But up until 40, 42 minutes, you know, the stats really show that St. Louis was on the offensive. More shots, more shots on target. Houston at that point, their first shot on target was in the 42nd minute when they scored. Mm -hmm. So you look at you look at how this game can change with moments. And I think that moment did happen in the 42nd minute. So let's look at it. Turnover in City's attacking half. And I think that that's where it all that's where this all begins. Because I want to frame this around transition defense. Yeah. After turning the ball over in City's attacking half, Houston moved the ball up through their midfield. Hector Herrera played the ball off to his right into the box. I counted five passes in Houston's attacking third inside the box, all inside, stretching the city defense wide to the point where you're having uh, Tim Parker and Jake Nerwinski in the box centrally. Roman Berkey makes a play towards Amin Bassi, and Corey Baird just sneaks behind Jake Nerwinski. Yeah. And, and he finds the hole between Nerwinski and Salio, and Salio was not deep enough to play a factor in this. He was kind of man-marking his own person out wide, and when Corey Baird stepped in behind Jake Nerwinski, Nerwinski stepped up to try and attack Hector Herrera, or at least cover Herrera when Bassi had the ball. Bassi instead crosses it, trying to go over Berkey, who attacks him. Berkey, I think, got a hand on it because Bassi did not get credited for an assist. Yeah, he, he did. He did. Yeah. And so when Corey Baird received that, it was it was kind of an easy header in behind the line, and suddenly Houston's up one nothing on their first shot on target. Yeah, and Houston, um, that, that's um, a testament of how good Houston is in transition. It just took um, one play, uh, offensive play from City, turnover, and then Houston did what they know how to do. They, they transition very well and five, six touches in the box. And, and yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, Nerwinski uh, lost uh, references to uh, Corey Baird and Houston ended up scoring, and then City had a lot of work to do going into the second half. And they didn't make any subs at halftime, so they, they ran up their line. They were clearly comfortable with the personnel they had on the field. I was waiting for some subs uh, right at halftime. But the interesting thing, and I so I watched this game uh, from the pitch club, the Moneta Pitch Club at City Park. Uh, so just a quick aside, since we're at halftime here, uh, this weekend, if you had an opportunity to see Ben Hawkman's show, the game's afoot, which we both did. That was awesome. It was one of those mo monumental moments that St. Louis soccer is going to be able to look back on. That was a celebration of everything. But on Saturday, the 300 guests who were in attendance at Olive and 22nd had wristbands and were allowed into the pitch club to watch the game. 
Um, that is the reason why I didn't see the first couple minutes because you know, everybody was still filing in. Yeah. But um, I, I got so many comments from people talking about how at the 60th minute mark, seeing the subs we made being Nico Joachini and Nuki Thorson, people were kind of surprised and, and at least impressed a little bit, like thinking that's a little earlier than I was expecting, mm. barring injuries. So like Tim Parker leaving at halftime of Sporting Kansas City injury, yeah. Klaus coming in, he's, he's prescribed minutes, he's ramping up. I, I don't think that was necessarily fully tactical. I think that kind of a thing was getting Klaus more minutes. This 60th minute, so you have a full half an hour left in the game, significant subs, one of them being the guy who was, we just got done talking about it, was creating for the entire first half. You're taking AZ Jackson out of the game. And yes, AZ Jackson and Jared Stroud are two of the, the, the longest runners on the team. You know, they put in a lot of the physicality, a lot of the work. They sprint an awful lot. And you're replacing them with full-on attacking threats. These are yeah. guys who play in the attacking third. They receive the ball, and then they go, in Thorson's case, I think he's more of a direct-to-goal guy. Yeah. And, and he was doing that from the wings. But Nico, you're you're completely changing the style of offense that you have when you're taking AZ out, you're putting Nico in, you're putting a higher higher player who does still like to create on and off the ball, and especially Nuki Thorson for Stroud. I think they have different makeups. That was something that I thought was a better reaction from Carnell. All of that, a better reaction from him than we typically see, where he oftentimes waits for these more significant subs 70, 75 minutes in, and then they don't necessarily seem like they have time to gel with the rest of the team. Yeah, a lot of times uh, we and other fans complain about the subs not coming early enough. And that's what I was thinking, maybe 45, like second, going into the second half, uh, a goal is scored towards the end of the first half. Maybe it's time to make some subs. Change but, it up. But um, obviously the way we see a game is different than the way the coaches see it. But uh, I, was, I, I was happy and also thinking at the same time when the 60th minute substitutions came in because I was like, why is AC coming out? Like he, mm -hmm. he has been creating and been a threat. But uh, I think a lot of that is they measure like um, the runs and the distances and they know if the guys are tired too. We don't know that. So I think that was part of it too. But, uh, but yeah, both uh, Nico and, and Torison made a difference and and then more subs uh, coming in after that, but uh, I think you have uh, that 73rd minute. Well, correct play. me if I'm wrong, when Thorson came in, you, you mentioned it, he came in on the right side. And so this was an opportunity to see him. He came, actually he came on the left side. But he played on the right because in, at least leading up to the goal, from the, that full team passing we're gonna get to in the 87th minute, he came from the right side, so I think. Right, so, so when he came in on the 60th, he was playing on the left side. Yeah. But then when Indy and mm -hmm. Ostra came in, he moved. He moved to the right side. Yeah, but before they before they came in, he did have a good opportunity. And this I, I highlighted this moment in the 73rd minute. Thorson to Klaus and then uh, Edu Leuven getting the ball inside the attacking third. He tries to lay off a pass from Arcanic really high. And if you you can compare what he tried to do with what he did to Indiana Vasilev later in the game as a, a big missed, I called it a failed run, missed opportunity, but it's, it's essentially, I think, a miscommunication. Of, yeah. Here's what Leuven's trying to do from Arcanic, and it's, it's that one of those muscle memory implicit things. Leuven has the ball, and this is what he knows needs to happen. Arcanic, maybe not uh, as familiar with, whether you say the system or Leuven's tendencies, didn't make that final run to collect the ball. There was one before, I don't remember the minute, but, uh, and it could be that, just miscommunication, not uh, being 
used to playing with each other. Leuven had Markanic wide open to the left, and he ended up uh, taking a left-footed shot, and it, it yes. was way high. I remember that. Yeah, you're right. So it's an interesting kind of thing to note between those two especially. Yeah. And going back to the passing, now we're going back to the formations. Leuven has been playing the left side of the midfield a whole lot. You're, whether you call it a double pivot or a six and an eight from Blom and Leuven, it has been Blom shading to the right a little bit more. And so that's something to look for or look for in the next few matches of Leuven and how he connects with the left back, the left mid, Markanic or Stroud or Thorson, whoever it ends up being. But the 80th minute is where everything really does kind of change. And I want to fr- frame this again around Indiana Vasilev because Tomas Ostrout coming in um, for Salio, and that's where Thorson moves over to the right, takes Salio's spot. Um, you have Ostrak taking AZ's traditional number 10. Mm-hmm. And then Indiana comes in as a like-for-like sub for Anthony Markanik. I and was like, what? Like, what, what, are they, what are they doing here? You know, how is this formation going to change up? Because you have Indiana Vasilev, you're going to change something. But they didn't. And I've got Indiana, Indiana's quote post-game saying, this is from Indy, quote, I think that's the first time I played there in my life. So, yeah, maybe it wasn't doing some things right defensively. I'm not too sure, to be honest with you, because like I said, it's my first time playing there. I just tried to get forward as much as I could just because of the state of the game. I know we were down one nothing, so my mindset was just kind of go on, maybe forego some of those defensive responsibilities in the hopes that we could grab a goal. And then once we grabbed a goal, I guess I sat a little bit, I sat back a little bit more. I still didn't really know with it. I had no idea what I was really doing, to be honest with you. You know, it seemed to have worked out for today. I'm happy to help the team. Good point away from home. Very tough place to come out and play. What do you make of that? Well, he's he's a team player. He will do anything the coach will <laughs> ask him to do. And he did well. When when we changed to that formation, yeah, you will think, uh, yeah, Indiana and Torreson are wingbacks. But I think at that point, it was just like three in the back. And let everybody, everybody else go attack and see if we can find a goal. And he, he did well. And Ostrak, uh, also, I like what he did. He was involved in the goal. There was also a play um, before that where he, where he, I don't remember who passed it to him on the right side. And he, um, he had a pass all the way into the box, mm-hmm. but Steve Clark collected it. Uh, Nico Giacchini was right there, ready to, to shoot it and score the, the tying goal. But Steve Clark uh, read the play really well. And we really have, so we focus on Indy because of the positional difference and, and what his role with the goal was. But Right alongside that, before we talk about the goal, Tomas Ostrak had himself a fantastic second half. And, and his ability to change the game and really continue what AZ started in the first half in that 10-roll, creating, being that right-outside-the-box player, and, and just the way he connected the offense was very impressive. It was, in a lot of ways, the Tomas Ostrak that we really wanted to see from last year. I have been waiting for that like the whole year, and he, have, he has had flashes of uh, that quality, but... Uh... This is one of the players that at the beginning of the season, I was like, uh, he's going he's gonna to kill it in MLS. He's going to do really well. Uh, one of those surveys that people had about like, who's going to be like the MVP and mm-hmm. most assists and all of that, I had Thomas Ostrak on a couple of those. I had him with the assist one as well. And that, his, his example or exhibit A to me of the depth that City has and riding the hot hand because they've earned it. And so I've, I, we've, we saw this at the beginning of the season with, uh, with Nico Joachini when he played himself into the lineup and then he was a mainstay. We saw it with Indiana Vasilev after the Sporting Kansas City game when he played himself into the 10 role until he needed a rest. And then we saw AZ Jackson take it from the San Jose Earthquakes game and he hasn't looked back. And so maybe it's just the factor that 
Ostrock is waiting for his chance and he needs to take the bull by the horns once he gets it, like these other guys have done, before he can actually uh, find himself in the starting 11. But let's talk about the goal because Indy, Ostrock both played a factor in it. 87th minute. This was a near polar opposite of what I would call a traditional St. Louis City goal. Oh my God, yeah. It was, it was beautiful, first of all. If you, like, if you like clean passing, if you like progressing the ball up the field, this was your goal. Jabulu Blom wins a free kick in our defensive half, so it started from a restart. Ten players are going to touch the ball here, and you can, you can name them because I think I have them all, except for Roman Berkey, which is kind of funny in and of itself. <laughs> uh, Blom passes the ball back to Yarrow. Yarrow passes it over to Parker on his left. Parker gives it back to Yarrow in the middle, over to Jake Nerwinski on the right side. Nerwinski progresses it up into space on the right wing. Nerwinski passed a hard ball up to Nico Joachini. One touches it back to Nukby Thorson on the right wing. Thorson then carries it centrally before laying it up to Leuven, who's running parallel to him on the left channel. Okay, so Leuven in the left channel takes the ball. He sees Indiana Vasilev moving from the left wing to the left channel in the box, passes this nice through ball, just like he wanted to do with Mark Hanick. Leuven passes a through ball to Indiana Vasilev, who receives it behind the Houston defense. Indy collects it in the box, crosses it back to Ostrock for a one-touch shot. Ostrock's shot is barely saved by Steve Clark's right hand, but it falls straight to Joao Klaus, who heads it in, and it's 1-1. So I had not realized that 10 players touched the ball. What came to mind to me is that all the subs were involved yes. in that play. That, and that's a testament, right? So you're getting Nico, Thorson, mm -hmm. Indy, Ostrock, Yarrow, every single player. We didn't even cover the Yarrow for Nilsson sub, but, I mean, Yarrow doesn't skip a beat. I think everybody at this point in time uh, knows that Yarrow is another one of those guys who just needed his opportunity. And he's, he's dealing with a crowded center back, uh, backfield of Nilsson and Parker. But at the same time, Yarrow, you're always comfortable with him finding his spot. And it was a little bit telling to me that it was Yarrow who found the sub and not Hebert. So I think that I, I'm not sure where the depth chart is, if this is something to read into, but it was just an interesting observation. The, the fact that we had every sub, every player, and it was such a clean buildup, that, that, that said everything to me. And it also gives you hope that this is another way that St. City can attack you. This is another way that they can figure out how to score goals, not even talking about the fact that they came from behind in the 87th minute which that's the first time that's a away, away as well yeah so i mean there's a lot of positives and that's that all of those things add up to at the end of the day fans were happy with this result we know how difficult it is to win away in mls we know how difficult it is to get a result away in mls but to to do so after going down in the first half against a team that hasn't they, they didn't allow a goal for 540 minutes until we scored five games plus this one it, MLS even put it out afterwards as a record that Houston was trying to get to and, and City shut them down. Like these are things that you hang your hat on from a draw that should have been a loss by all accords. Yeah, yeah, but uh, we had not, City had let some games get away at the end of the game. We had not seen them coming back at the end of the game. So yep. that's also great to see. And, and um, yeah, it's a tie and, and people may think, oh, this uh, a stretch of three games, a loss to Sporting KC, a tie against LA Galaxy that should have been a win, and another tie against Houston. Maybe not, not a lot of points, but uh, you have to think about what the other teams are doing too. Like Seattle has been losing, tying, LAFC, same thing. And City is still in, in first place. And uh, Bradley Carnell uh, on his post-games remark, he looked happy and, and he sounded like, yeah, this was, it's a tie, but for us, it's a great result. 
Yeah, it's definitely a momentum building tie as opposed to a, an LA Galaxy type of a tie where you're kind of disappointed in how it all went down. I, I like the juxtaposition against the LA Galaxy tie versus this one. I think this one offers a lot more to build off of. We're going to need to, and we're going to preview LA or the LAFC game here in just a moment. But uh, kind of kind of recapping this and kind of putting a bow on this match, um, I, we talked about Ostrock and Indy and, and all of the different players, but we really haven't talked about Klaus aside from just mm. mentioning him. Klaus, there's a lot of things we could we could spend a lot of time on him, but I'm just going to really quickly hit some really important points. Klaus, for the first time, played 90, first time since April 15th against FC Cincinnati. After the FC Cincinnati game was Colorado, where he got hurt and had to come out after like 61 minutes. This was his first time playing full 90. He had played in his last five matches, 12, 19, 45, 71, and now 90 minutes. He's progressed up to this point where we can now say, Klaus is good to go. And not only that, Bradley Carnell has really kind of, you can tell how much he loves it. Bradley Carnell's post-game quote on Klaus said, you can see the qualities he possesses. He's a real hold-up striker with skill, speed, and savviness. When Klaus is playing at that confidence level, he's really difficult to construct a plan against him. He's able to draw people. He floats between the lines. He runs the line, like we saw on multiple occasions. So really happy about a lot of what we saw tonight. And I'm sure he can be proud of his performance tonight, which was the second goal in two games, his seventh total MLS goal of the season, and he's, he has only played in 13 games. 13 games, seven goals. Seven goals, 13 games. And he games. has uh, like four assists or something Yes, like he has 11 goal contributions. Yeah. So seven goals, four assists, 13 games, 11 starts. And so mm -hmm. I just mentioned how he was ramping up. So those last five games, last four games, those are games that he's played. And so all of that just shows the quality. And remember when he got, when he was injured, he was in consideration for MVP and Golden Boot. Those yeah. are those are the levels that he was at, and it feels like Klaus is back. Yeah, I remember uh, back when he was healthy and and still playing. Um, one day we were at training, and and Lutz came out, and he was like, "Yeah, he's gonna score double-digit goals." Obviously, then he got injured, but uh, there were a lot of hopes that he was gonna be in consideration for the Golden Boot. All right, so as we finish this match, I've got a an over under for you, and I'm gonna set it at. Uh, 9.5. So 9 does he reach, 5. does he reach double digits? It's, we have five games left. Klaus has seven goals now. Does he reach the double digit mark in these last five games? So does he get three goals in five games? I'm going to say yes. I can't disagree. I'm going to say uh, two goals in two games and he's back up to 90 minutes. Why not? And you're looking at opportunities at home. He's performed well against uh, well, he performed well, but when he played against Seattle, I think he played a, a, as decent a game as anybody in that one. So I look for these home matches as good opportunities. Um, sporting Kansas City, we've seen them be vulnerable to a non-Klaus City team. And so why not with Klaus? Sure, let's go with double digits. He'll get there. But let's finish this game. Houston goes away with this now in a three-way tie for fifth in the West. They have 40 points tied with RSL and the Quakes. Uh, they have six games left, so they still have an extra game. But this is a log jam in the Western Conference. As we, as we are going to pivot to LAFC, uh, we have to look at where St. Louis City is at the top of the table with 49 points. We have a 15, 10, and 4 record now. We still have a plus 18 goal differential. LAFC won El Trafico this weekend. They won 4-2. to two. And so they picked up a couple points. on our. They're on our heels with 43 now. And they have a game in hand. So as we, as we now transition to let's preview LAFC, we have to look at where they are and what they've been up to. Um, I think... Second in the West doesn't quite do them justice, although their form has been a little iffy lately. Mm -hmm. They are second in the West, 12-9-7 record, 
44 goals for, 34 goals against, plus 10 goal differentials. So not quite as high octane as us, but close. We had 40, uh, we had, we have, I believe, 55, 57, I don't have it in front of me, goals scored. So they're, they're pretty close. They have 50, a 56, 56. Yeah, yeah. Split the difference. Yeah. <laughs> they have a three, five and four away record. And this is important. So remember this, the three, five and four away record. They have a game in hand on St. Louis. Here's how they've been in their last few matches. Last this past weekend, we know they won El Trafico four to two on Saturday against LA Galaxy, which was a home match for them. Before that, they had a two nothing loss at Portland and a three one loss at home against Messi's Inter Miami. Things to keep in mind for this LAFC and in, in the form that they're in. Um, LAFC is very much similar to St. Louis City in their home versus away form. They're not overly bad on the road, but they're very good at home. They have nine wins at home and just three on the road. And that's a, that's a very similar story that we're telling ourselves here lately. LAFC's last road win, though, was June 17th against Sporting Kansas City. They're 0-4-1 since. Four losses and a draw since that. Four losses being to Portland, Charlotte, LA Galaxy, and FC Dallas. And they drew Minnesota United all on the road. This is a bad road team lately. And that's where St. Louis really has the opportunity. LAFC has four clean sheets on the road this year. Two of those being 0-0 draws. But their last clean sheet away was May 13th against Real Salt Lake. So if you're looking at how to do your predictions on game day on Wednesday, if you're looking at what to expect from what they will allow, it seems pretty obvious that they're going to allow goals, LAFC is. They're going to have a difficult time matching City. And, and this might, might as well be a shootout. I think there's a good opportunity to look at that. I have, I have a few key players, um, and I think they all play a big factor in their offense. So, Santi, I'm going to list some names out. You tell me kind of who you think is going to have the biggest impact against St. Louis City on Wednesday. Wow. I've got Carlos Vela, their number 10. Denny Boyanga, their number 99. Uh, Mateus Bogus, number 19. Ilya Sanchez, number 6. Giorgio Cellini, 14, and Kellen Acosta, number 23. Now, more people can't hurt us, but of those six, and we've got some attackers, we've got some midfielders, and we've got some defense. Wow, this is, a, this is really stuck. Do I have to pick? Can I pick more than one? Well, I think we're, we, should be, we should be prepared for who's going to impact yeah. us worse. And who do, you think, who do you think is going to impact us in what ways? Like, are we, are we so, kind of... And that's what I was asking, if I could pick more than yes. one. Uh, obviously, Dennis Buanga... Uh, their leading goal scorer. Mm -hmm. He has been great. He's in the Golden Boot race. But thinking about the midfield battle, Ili Sanchez has been great for LAFC the last year and a half. And he stymied us too. He was one of the big reasons that we were shut out against LAFC the last time we played each other, um, three nothing. And so we've got some uh, we've got some tactical information to look at. So one of the things with LAFC is looking at how they can beat you. Unlike, I would say, previous matches against Houston or Sporting Kansas City, possession-based teams, LAFC, if you, if you don't remember from when they played us, they play a style that is pretty similar to St. Louis City. They have a slightly different formation. They usually run like a 4-3-3, but they emphasize pressing high. They emphasize intensity, creating opportunities for their attacking players to use their technical quality closer to the opposition goal. Uh, Steve Trundolo, their coach, he, he kind of works that pressing style similar to cities where they, they allow their team um, very targeted pressing, but it's increased every year he's taken over coaching. 
So they prioritize intelligent passing over sheer intensity. It's not the, the Red Bull style of energy drink soccer. It's more, it's more in line with what City does, especially recently as the summer months have progressed. Their PPDA, their uh, passes per defensive action, is right there next to St. Louis City. This is, I believe, two and four in the league. So we're talking about a team that they don't necessarily want the ball. And so you talk about styles winning out. You want, you want to see if we can, in fact, force them to possess the ball a little bit more and control the ball, and then we can hit them on the counter, which we're good at. But they're so good at themselves, their counterattacks, they're progressing the ball, short passes very intentionally up the field, through their midfield, and then playing especially heavy on their left side. Their left wing is a very strong um, offensive role for them. Looking at um, uh, Mateus... Uh, yeah, um, Mateus Bogus. Mm-hmm. Bogus is really, really important to them there on the left side. And so is uh, Denny Boyonga. So Vela offers his own thing on the right-hand side. But I think the ability for LAFC to stretch the field quickly and with short passes is what can and likely will get St. Louis into trouble if they're able to successfully move the ball into the attacking third. Yeah, and that just thinking about the counterattack, that is one of their strengths. Uh, that's how uh, they scored that first goal uh, when City played them exactly. back in uh, a couple of months ago at LA. And the score was 3-0, but uh, City uh, held their own, um, like the first 65, 70 minutes. But it was one of those, like a quick counterattack, quick pass, and it went over our center backs and um, Carlos Vela ended up scoring. I think one of the things I'm worried about the most of uh, taking away what we saw against Houston are some of the longer passes we were attempting on the floor. LAFC does a really good job at closing off a lot of the passing lanes. And so their press doesn't just consist of attacking the player with the ball, but and, and they don't attack the player who might receive the ball. They block passing lanes really, really well. And so our ability to progress the ball on the floor is going to really rely on some of these smaller short passes and having really compact networks between our players. Having Jabulu Blom progress the ball up to an AZ Jackson, probably not going to be the greatest of ideas. Looking at how we can progress the ball on the wings with some of those overlapping runs on the wings and the channels sounds like a more effective approach to us. And so the wing, the passing network we saw against Houston with utilizing the wings, the Celio Pompeu, <laughs> those kinds of things I think would be uh, in theory more effective. This is a game I'm looking forward to. It's uh, and the last few games have been like that. Uh, it's a six-point game. Like now, uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday or today. Like when the schedule, and I know this is not on purpose. When the schedule was made, so you are seeing City is now playing all the top seven teams in the Western Conference, and in my mind, I'm like maybe like the the guys making the schedule were thinking like, okay, let's. Put all the top teams against CDSC. They can get an easy, an easy game, and CDSC will probably be out of it, so it won't matter. And obviously, City had a different say in it, so we'd be fodder, is, is basically what you're saying, like cannon yeah. fodder for the other teams. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's great to see. But I'm looking forward to this one because it's just number one against number two, and uh, if City wins, it will get nine points on LAFC. It's important if if LAFC gets the three points, they will get a three point. Basically, it will be three points behind and make the the race for first place in the conference uh, a little bit more interesting. But C- City has a chance to kind of put it away and 
uh, basically say, okay, um, it's, it will also be an statement win, like uh, beating the number two team, last year's champion, made it to the to the Conca Champions final. It will be a, a, a statement win for City for sure. You look at the teams that we've beaten this year, and and knowing that I mean we just got off of a match against Houston, we've we've beaten Houston uh, home or away, regardless. Um, the the path to the playoffs is going through teams like San Jose Earthquakes, Houston Dynamo, Vancouver Whitecaps, Real Salt Lake, Seattle Sounders, and LAFC. We haven't beaten Seattle. We have one game left against them. We haven't beaten LAFC. We have one game left against them. We've beaten Real Salt Lake. We've beaten Houston. We've beaten Vancouver. We, we've beaten all these other teams in line. So do you feel like we haven't gotten credit for that statement win yet that could be coming Wednesday? Or if not Wednesday, then um, on the final game of the season against Seattle? Is there, is there a difference, I would say, between those two teams and either the perception or where they stack up in the standings of a statement win to hang your hat on versus what we've done against these other I teams. think a lot of it is perception. Like uh, LAFC and Seattle have been, uh, the last few years, have been uh, the top teams in the conference, uh, have won MLS Cup. So I think it's like, okay, can City, can City beat like the top two teams, like the ones that have been uh, winning in the last few years? And the other thing is late in the season. Like, yeah, you beat... RSL, you beat uh, Houston, but that was like earlier in the season. So I would put more weight now winning in September with uh, five games left compared to winning against Houston back in June, winning against RSL back in April where mm -hmm. they were having... And we've lost control. RSL since. Yeah. So I think this is it. This is the statement win for City. If it wasn't being built up as anything as big as it could be, then I think this does the job. Um, and it, it's a Wednesday match, which I think City, City fans have never shown an issue coming out for Wednesday match. Uh, it's going to be fun with the canned food drive that's going on, the club's putting out. It, it's just going to be an exciting atmosphere. Um, before we go, Santi, I do have, there's one more technical thing that I want to talk about, and it's the way that the LA Galaxy, or the, the way that LAFC progresses the ball. And... We talked about some of their key players. We talked about Vela, Boyanga, Bogus, Ilya Sanchez. I've looked at the passing network for LAFC these past three matches when they beat LA Galaxy, when they lost to Portland, and when they lost to Miami. And in their win, they seem to be more spread out vertically than, than in the other matches. So looking at Portland, now LAFC in general is a very horizontal team. They keep their fullbacks very wide. And so what we can look forward to is, is a battle on the wings for sure, but also they're very connected in their, in their midfield. And so they, they have been very compact in their losses vertically. And so there's not much space between their center backs and guys like Carlos Vela or uh, Bogus. But when, they, when, they've, when they've won, they've stretched that out a little bit more. And so they, they lose, they seem like there's a little more compactness um, they're not spreading the field, stretching the field, I, I would say, as much as they want to. But if they have guys like Teddy Boanga and, and Mateus Bogus, they're on the left and in the mid, stretching so far away from their center backs. That's where they get dangerous. And I think that speaks to their ability to find space in some of those runs and the counterattacks when they're successful and consistent and they're able to get in behind our defensive uh, back line that's where they can do damage. And they did damage like to the Yellow Galaxy this week. So 
a, a key to me is really going to be for our back line to hold the line. You cannot, I mean, offside, I think may, may be a big factor. We might see a lot of really close offside calls or no calls here because of how LAFC is going to try to press the line. And the, the way that we can have our cohesion between Parker, Nilsson, and whoever starts on the fullback side, because it's anyone's guess at this point between Nerwinski Watts, <laughs> um, Hebert, Markanik, and maybe Indiana Vasilev now, I don't know. But you look at the cohesion and making sure that there, nobody is allowing space. Um, you also look at how wide St. Louis is going to come out. Are we going to try to meet them on the wings? Or are we going to go back to like a diamond? Are we going to stick with a 4-4-2, uh, this kind of three center back look um, where you might have, and it, it has been a favorite, right? Lately, it seems like offensively and defensively, we have different looks and we leverage our fullbacks in different, in different ways. And I, I don't see a reason why that's going to stop in this approach, but I worry if we're not as defensively sound on our wings, then you're looking at guys like Carlos Vela, and uh, Mateus Bogus, Denny Boanga, who can really exploit a lot of what you're doing, create spaces behind them. Because those front three, if they all play, because LAFC just played this weekend, if they all play, I think there's a lot of damage that they could do uh, where St. Louis has been deficient. The, the goal against Houston, transition defense. That's why I called that out, because that's what I worry about going into LAFC. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is five in the back something what that we may see against LAFC and five in the back more on uh, thinking more about defense. So maybe mm -hmm. instead of Marcanic, you have Kyle Heaver at, as left back. And um, on the right side, you still have uh, Akil Watts, but maybe more on a defensive role. Would you consider what we started against Houston as five in the back with Marcanic, Nilsson, Parker, Nerwinski, and Salio? Yeah, with Celio being on, on that defensive mode so much, maybe you can think that was a way to and say and so five I, in the back. I hate to answer a question with a question, but yeah. I, I did so because if we run something like that out, I think that that has a lot of promise. Yeah. Um, and and it, it was it, only one time it hurt us. It hurt us for a goal, but it was that Nerwinski, Celio, like Celio wasn't as far back to help yeah. with Nerwinski, who was looking more central. Other than that, like we talked about how successful the defense was in the first half against Houston. I don't, I don't see why that kind of a look where you do have – it starts off with four at the back, and that's what they show on TV. Yeah. You're seeing that the lineup says four in the back. But Salio, the way he was playing defense, was along the back line regularly. And if he has – whether it's Salio or whether it's um, Jared Stroud out there, you know, he's a guy who's played a wingback role before this season – that's an interesting option on the right side. And so I would like to do that as a way to meet their, their wingers wide, their fullbacks. Mm -hmm. But also I think that enables some of the, the wing battles and opening up the space that we can exploit deep on them. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Uh, and I like what Celio did both defensively and offensively. So maybe that, that's a way for, for Celio to find his way into the lineup. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a very interesting game and looking forward to, to Wednesday night. All right. We don't have anything in front of us, so let's go off the cuff on lineup predictions and a score prediction. I can start if you want me to. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to use my fingers to add this up make sure I'm not missing any players, yeah. but let's go. Um, let's go with Kyle Hebert at left back. I, I, 
this is rotation also based. So yeah. let's keep that in mind. We just played on Saturday. Um, Kyle Hebert at left back, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, and Akil Watts. That's that's what our back line is going to look like. Jabulu Blom, Eddie Leuven in the midfield. And I still think he's going to run, Bradley Carnell is going to run with Jared Stroud. And I th- look back to the subs when they made those subs in the 60th minute and Jared Stroud came out. And that that's a reason I think he was, whether it's being rested or game flow, um, Jared Stroud and AZ, I can both see them starting in this game. So it, it's sounding a lot similar where you have Hebert, Nilsson, Parker, Watts, Blom, Leuven, Stroud, AZ, and then probably Klaus and Nico up front. I see Sam coming in as late uh, sub. as a late sub. Um, Sa- can you imagine Sam, Klaus, and Nico all in the field at the same time, and what that might that might look like, even with Nuvi Thorson out there? Like we're talking about our four wow. primary forwards on the field at the same time if you need them. And Bradley Carnell subs in the second half against Houston show me that he's not afraid of uh, just whatever the opposite of parking the bus is. I mean, three <laughs> yeah. defenders and then everybody, everybody. else is attacking. Like that, that. That, at home, that would be exciting to see. That's a, that's a way you can get the crowd behind you is consistently pushing everybody forward that way. You just have to be so defensively sound. Like, can we trust our back line and three players to do that role? I don't know, but I do think that we are going to need a little bit more defensive help. And so that's why I had Kyle Hebert in there. Yeah, Definitely Jabulu Blom can help uh, cover for the back line. And I still think we, we need some kind of attacking presence on the wings. And I like what Akil Watts is always able to offer. I, I, don't, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be back in the lineup. So it, it might start out looking like a flat 4-4-2, but it's going to have a different looking shape probably in our attack where it could be Hebert, Nielsen, and Parker kind of shifting as that three center back look pushing Watts higher. Yeah. All right, since I already said it, I'm going to stick with my guns and go with five in the back. Yes. So uh, we have... Uh, we have Jarrow, Parker, and um, Nilsson as center backs. Yep. Then uh, Kyle Huber on the left side. Ooh. And then I'm going to go with Akil Watts on the right side. Then mm-hmm. Jabulo Blom as, as the pivot. Then um, Leuven. And I'm going to go Leuven shifting. Uh, yeah, let's go with Leuven shifting to the right. And then Indiana Basilev. On the left side. Okay. AC Jackson as a 10. And then uh, Joao Klaus as the number nine. I feel there's a couple guys that you look to put in pen for this match. Uh, not just because they they have they are our starters. And we've talked on Flavor about the guys who are regular starters, the core, the, the spine, but also like who Cardinal's core guys are. And I think informing from the Houston match, I definitely see Watson for Nerwinski. Nerwinski went for the full 90. This this is perfectly set up for Watts to come back in. Uh, but you also look to Stroud and AZ only going 60. That's another kind of indicator here. Mm-hmm. Klaus, I think, I, if Klaus starts, he will not start yeah, probably not. against Minnesota, which is a bummer because I'm going to Minnesota to see oh. the game. But I, I fully get it. And I don't know if we mentioned it because I, I don't remember what we've talked about sometimes on, on our show because we were like 50 minutes in. I firmly believe that Bradley Carnell, at some meeting, some conversation with coaches, they – point to mat- a match in these stretches of three games in eight days. And they say, this is our match. This is our match for three points. So it's funny you bring that up because yesterday during the press conference, and I was waiting for a moment to, to call that out, he mentioned for the last six games, so basically after the League's Cup game, mm-hmm. 
the the goal they have internally was to get nine points. So the team was shy one point. What goes in my head is was like, okay, nine points, winning against Houston and Dallas, and then getting three ties out of the four games away, or hmm. is it a win and three losses? That that's something that that caught my attention from yeah. from his remarks last night. Well, you know better than anybody that they set this season up in blocks, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> So you look at how they have these expectations for blocks of games or how much, they, and you know maybe LAFC is the match where there were some rotation that we talked about in the, the Houston match, um, whether it's tactically or looking ahead, I don't know. But it, it is an interesting perspective to take for LAFC being the home matchup. And the, the downside to targeting this for three points is it's the second best team in the West or it's right there with us as the best. That's so, the game. That's the game you have to win. And And... Carnell, I think, does like to say that they like to test themselves against the best. He's made comments before uh, when we've asked him of, what do you think about not playing against this player? Like against Minnesota, we didn't play against Manuel Reynoso. Mm -hmm. um, other opportunities where national team duties have come into play. And he always says, we want to test ourselves yeah. against the best. We want, like, it, yeah, tactically it might benefit us, but we want to, this is that match. They will have the opportunity to test them against the other best team so I can see them putting their absolute best lineup out and some of what Houston did set them up for. Yeah. Yeah. So Wednesday night, we'll be there and looking forward to uh, hopefully three points. Let's do it. Uh, by the time this comes out, you'll know how City 2 did on Sunday. But it's been a fun weekend of soccer in St. Louis between Ben Hockman's play, the games afoot, Shakespeare in the streets, City sprint, City 2 game. I'm sure I'm missing some. Oh, obviously, the watch parties and everything on Saturday night. But it's just been fun and we keep the party going Wednesday. Anything else, Santi? No, no, that's all for me today. All right, thanks for joining us here on Flyover Footies, Flyover Fallout. I'm Matt Baker, Santiago Beltran. We'll talk to you later. Vamos City.